0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, the zone. We are joined now by Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, the former Fresno State and BYU basketball coach. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, I got to see a different side of PK, and I know you know different sides of PK, but still, we know the public exterior of PK. And we were texting last night before... um, we were texting Sunday night before the uh, documentary started, and P.K. texts, I'm so excited. I have an assignment. I have something to watch tonight. You can almost feel like, you know, 13-year-old P.K. being all fired up in a way that gruff newspaper P.K. can never be fired up. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, So you've got a lot of uh, memories of that time. And as a college basketball coach, I know you interact with scouts from around the NBA. And so I'm thinking you bring a different perspective, not lifelong jazz fan, not media guy being held at arm's length. You know, the truth is a big ball and everybody sees it from a different angle, but nobody can see the whole truth all at one time. So I'm curious about your memories of that team and that era and how you saw the Bulls.
1: You know, what I have, I do have a different perspective. and I, You know, last night I ended up, I actually taped, I would not watched the first two episodes. Uh, for whatever reason, my wife and I were watching some World War II documentary. And we, yeah, but I had taped it knowing that I watched it, so I'm looking forward to watching it. But I did, you know, it was, it was really interesting. I had just come to BYU during that time when the Jazz were playing. So I, would, I saw, and saw it firsthand in terms of the perspective of the Jazz fans and how difficult that was. But when I was a high school basketball coach at Clovis West High School back in the mid '80s, I uh, I lived at a time you remember Boyd Grant mm-hmm. uh, coached longtime yeah. successful yeah. coach of Fresno State and Colorado State, and uh, Boyd had a, had a great player that played for him by the name of Rod Higgins. Rod would eventually be drafted by the Bulls, be Michael Jordan's roommate, and uh, would really lay the foundation for my relationship with Michael in the mid '80s and. Michael and I are not good friends, and we know each other, and and I haven't seen him in years. But uh, it was kind of interesting, as a high school coach, we have summer camps. And uh, Rod has two really good buddies that were from Chicago, Bobby Anderson and Tyrone Bradley, who had all played on that team for Boyd. They were a Sweet 16 team. And uh, they stayed in the community. Rod obviously didn't. He, He went on to play professional basketball. But I remember uh, one day Bobby and Tyrone came over to Clovis West and said, Hey, Bobby and I and Rod want to do a camp. I know you have a huge camp here. Let's, could, you want to do something together. And so I said, yeah, that'd be great. You know? And uh, so what I didn't know at the time was that Rod would surprise us about two or three weeks later. said, Hey, listen, Michael wants to come out. And, and I think most of you know, Michael loves to play golf. Right. And, uh, and, and there's some great golf in Central California here. And so Rod actually convinced Michael to uh, to come out. And what ended up happening was uh, <clears throat> Michael came. And, you know, there maybe 150, 200 campers that came. And uh, so that first year, Michael came out, did a presentation. It was kind of a low-key thing. But, you know, Michael hadn't won any NBA championships, but he had still... I was going for 30 and 40 and 50 a night. Obviously, had uh, everybody knew it. it was really special. So it was kind of a, a wonderful thing. But uh, that thing evolved into some experiences that uh, that I, I can share with you that are just incredible about Michael's character and his relationship with Rod Higgins. You know, Rod would eventually become the GM at Charlotte. He was a GM at Golden State and, and one of Michael's very closest friends. I don't even know. If Rod was even mentioned or will be mentioned in this documentary, but uh, they they were was. friends, and so that's how that thing started.
2: Yeah, they, Higgins is uh, is is mentioned in there. They they yeah they, they they interview him, and and that name stuck out to me because I knew of the Fresno State. Uh, uh, connection as you just spoke of there's a lot of things that i wanted to talk to you about this and and how it relates in in the world of of players in the world of coaching uh, and and start with being a player uh to be great to the level of greatness you obviously has to have you have to have the talent that is indisputable but what else is it that makes somebody go above and beyond? I mean, basically, do you have to have a little SOB in you? Well,
1: let, let me tell you some experiences
2: I had with Michael, uh, just in a competitive
1: nature, every night after camp. And eventually, it, this thing blew up into Michael coming for four or five years. And we played in arenas, and we, we, we were in my high school gym. And it was Chris Mullen, Timmy Hardaway, Michael Jordan, Rod Higgins, It was for about four years was an incredible thing. And so I saw the competitive side of Michael when they would play at night. And I would say his competitiveness was unlike anything I'd ever seen. I don't care if we were playing tennis or it was ping pong or it was golf. And one of the really funny experiences that I'm playing golf with Michael out of San Joaquin Country Club with some guys in the community. And just to tell you how competitive he was, so there's a few dollars being played for. And uh, the, a group of young high school kids, really, you know, they're all country club type kids, spoiled, and, and, but really good golfers. And they started walking and following us. And Michael was very kind to them, talking to them. But all of a sudden, towards the end of the round, they're walking. They started talking a little smack to Michael. And uh, it, was, it was one of those things where Michael, you could tell he was getting a little bit irritated. And we kind of, hey, 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 you know coolest thing. And then Michael just jumped in and, with a few profanities and <laughs> just said, listen, shut up. You, you know, you you get better than I am. Fine, let's meet at the first hole well, and when I'm done playing, because they were talking about Michael not hitting it that far. And uh, so Michael was really, I could see that he got under the, the, his skin and he just kind of was done with it. And so half hour later, we're on the first tee of this country club and they got these three or four kids and Michael says, okay, what are we playing for? And the kids go, "What?" You know, he's "No." He said, no, "Put up or shut up." You know, that kind of deal. You know, and, and he said, "No, I'm I'm tired of hearing your trash talking." Da 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 da. And he was saying it in kind of a fun way, but anyway, I, I don't remember if it was ten bucks or twenty bucks a kid, but they all got up there and hit key balls, and they all hit them really well. And then Michael jumps up and hits about a three hundred and thirty yard drive, sea level. And I mean, he's a young NBA player; he's not a golf professional. But he just nails this drive, and the kids start laughing. And he goes, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! I want the money now." And one kid had the money, and Mike, all of a sudden, Michael goes, "No, no, no! You're not going anywhere. You go to the pro shop. Go where you got to go. But we're not leaving till I got my, you know, my twenty dollars per." And you know what? Those kids got really humble. They went after the pro shop, got some money, came back. And, uh, and kind of half-word, you know, kind of apologized. And Michael, when they walked off, Michael just smiled. He says, yeah, they learned a lesson today. <laughs> and, uh, but, I mean, it didn't matter what it was. Michael was just as competitive as a person I've ever seen. And he wasn't obnoxious about it. It was just, you knew that you were getting his best shot. I don't care if you were playing ping pong or what you were doing. Uh, he was as competitive as And when you get people like that uh, as a coach, you know, special things are going to happen. And I think all of us as coaches, have coached guys who were really, really competitive. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's the difference between being really, really good and being great.
0: So can you speak to the, and I, you've probably with the story, you've given us a little hint already, but... Uh... We've seen how combative in the first two episodes, we've seen how combative Michael can be with somebody he doesn't like or doesn't respect because he is just going after Jerry Krause. Uh, But with Higgins, how much loyalty did you see with a teammate he really appreciates?
1: Unbelievable loyalty. And I I will tell you this, and just a, a quick story, too, to go with that. We had agreed to do actually a, a game with with all of these pros and do it at that Arena, which was the this, the, the arena in, in downtown Fresno. And Michael was to come out, and we had sold it out. There was, it's about nine or ten thousand seats. We had sold it out, and uh, we had you know everything was like ten bucks a ticket or something. But it was it has been sold out, and we got a phone call the day of the event early in the morning that. Uh, Michael called and called Rod and said, man, I can't get there. I can't get there. And, and I go, what do you mean you can't get there? He says, well, I, I don't remember if it was Pepsi or Coke, but he was doing a corporate outing in North Carolina. And he, he was speaking. He said, I just can't get there. And so I, I get this phone call and say, hey, he's not coming. I said, if he doesn't come, we're going to have to leave town. We just sold this place out. Michael Jordan's coming. And we were in full-fledged panic, you know? And I just kept telling, you know, Rod, Rod, listen, we got to do something. We got to fly him out. We got to do something. Anyway, long story short, Michael got a Gulfstream. I think it was a G4. Convinced Coke, I think it was, to fly him. As soon as he was done flying him, in. we got to. He gets the three hours back flying out. He flies from North Carolina to Fresno, lands in Fresno, comes, gets there about ten minutes before the game's supposed to start. Plays, leaves early, gets on the jet and flies back. That's how close he and Rod Higgins were. So, you know, he wasn't going to disappoint as, you know, one of his very, very close friends at the time. So that showed me more about the. I mean, hey, we all have flaws, okay? Nobody's perfect. But that's as high a character thing as I've ever seen for a friend in a situation where he didn't need to come, but he did it because of Rod.
0: Steve, you lived in Fresno your whole life. Your name would have been wrecked.
1: <laughs> oh, Oh, no, oh, let, me, let me tell you something right now. We would have had to put a for sale sign up, and I, I just got out of town. <laughs> it was like, oh, my goodness. But there was so much hype about that, and, it, and we did it a couple of years, and I think Rod Thorne eventually said, all right, we're done with this. You, uh, Michael, you can't do this. Because he had, he had three or four other NBA guys playing. I mean, that stuff could never happen today in today's world, but it happened. And I tell people this, and, and they think I'm making it up. I said, I promise you, I'm not making this up. And it happened because of Rod. You know, and and obviously we enjoyed the benefits from it and uh, just some special experiences with him. And, you know, I saw him a few other times, but obviously I watched him like you guys watched him. But, I I mean, I watched him play against college kids, and, you know, it it wasn't the mentor type thing. He just wanted to bury him, And and occasionally there would be some talk in those games between, uh, you know, Chris Mullen and uh, Timmy Hardaway. They weren't basketball about talking smack either. And uh, those games got really competitive. And uh, and especially with the college kids who would pop off, Michael would just destroy them.
2: When you watch it, you'll see when he scored that 63 or 5 points against the uh, the great uh, Celtics team that won the title, a guy that you know very well, Ainge, was on that team and they do a little thing, actually showed a little clip of right before that game, an off day. So I think it was, that was in game two. So after game one, before game two, Ainge and Jordan went and played golf somewhere in the Boston area. And uh, Ainge talks about it in there. They interview him in that uh, little thing. I don't mean really, because they played two episodes. I don't remember if it was in episode one or episode two. But yeah, I, I, anyways, I, had, I had they seen that golf. on Twitter and... That didn't surprise me.
1: <laughs> that didn't surprise me. All just because I know my. So wh- who's better? <laughs> oh, you know what? I think Danny's probably a better player. And I, I've, I'm, you know, I've been with Danny when he's played. I mean, I guess you know, I probably, probably played golf with him, but I, I, I certainly have watched him play. And and at that time, when I, you know, I don't know how good Michael got. Michael hit it a ton, but you know, for every, you know, he'd have a birdie or two, and then and then there'd be a double. And uh, and I don't, I think back in those days in the mid to late 80s he was probably a uh, eight or nine or ten maybe 11 handicap but I'm, I'm sure he got better and uh but that's about the time that he would have been playing with danny so i'm, I'm thinking i've only seen danny at, at, and i don't remember him playing as but i would say that danny probably uh got the best of him no matter how competitive they were because danny's a really really good golfer
0: the best part
1: but they both of... hit it a ton i mean it wasn't i mean michael killed that thing and uh and, and golf was still somewhat somewhat new to him, you know. But he had just fallen. He was he loved that game as much as he did hoop. I think.
0: So I, I don't want to wreck the whole show for you, but it was just priceless, Steve. So they 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 show game one where Jordan goes for forty nine and just blows Larry Bird's mind, right? And then uh-huh. game then they go golfing on as PK says between one and two. And in game two, he's going to come back and go for sixty three. <clears throat> And Larry Bur- and Larry Bird drops the, that wasn't Michael Jordan. That was God disguised as Michael Jordan. I mean, Bird was beyond, I mean, he's just completely in awe of how good Jordan was that night. Uh, but so they're golfing, and they all rode out to whatever course they played at together. And Ainge is telling the story, he says, and we get back, and and we're dropped MJ off first, and Jordan gets out and says, hey, tell your guy DJ I got something for him tomorrow night. He calls Whoa. a shot. He's coming off 49, and then he tells him, <laughs> "Tell DJ, I got something for him." And he goes for 63. Ah, you know, I know Jordan is awesome, but when I hear stories like that, I think you're even better than I thought you were, and I already thought you were awesome. You know, you know, it's funny that you
1: you could have conversations with him, and, and I, you know, we had conversations about a lot of different things, but when, when it got in that setting and anybody thought you – because know, everybody was going to try to one-up him. You know what I mean? Like, this is their opportunity. And not many guys at his level and, – and, and at that point in time, he hadn't won NBA championships. And I'm sure, you know, these, these kind of things were when he was a younger NBA player but still a really, really good player. And uh, – uh, but you, you could you put him in a competitive situation or somebody started talking to you, and he would immediately put it into another gear and, and shut you down. You know I mean? It was like – he he wasn't he, he had that instinctively in him and it came out in him in competitive situations. But all, you know, away from that he was just funny, he had a sense of humor and would tease you and, and do things. I saw him around people and how he interacted and he was so cordial and kind. But when you got him in a competitive situation, uh man, there was a different different animal. <laughs>
2: Show you how much the league has changed. He wins his first title in 1991, right? And I'm working in a suburban newspaper in the Los Angeles area. So it was after, uh, would have been uh, game uh, three, I think. And uh, my job was just to do, working for a newspaper there. My job was to do Bulls' locker room. So I walk in the locker room after the game. I think they had won in overtime. And there he's sitting. He's by himself. He didn't go to the podium. And so uh, I I walk up to him. There's nobody in there. It's just me and him. And I said to him, are you available for interviews? He says, yes, sit down. We have about a 15-minute conversation about the game before the rest of the media realized that he wasn't going to be at the podium. And so I got this one-on-one after Game 3 of the NBA Finals with MJ. I mean, could you imagine even getting no. within... 20 yards of him in today's world the way the things have changed. It really blew my mind. I was a young kid at the time and I didn't really realize it, but and then to see the way the NBA is conducting business now, it seems like it would have been 100 years ago. Oh, That's an amazing, that's an amazing thing. You're right. It's been downhill since.
1: <laughs> can you imagine that? For me, yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> can you imagine that? How, how unbelievable that is and, 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 uh, and, and, and in that setting, uh, that's an incredible story. That, that never happens again. And it's the same thing with my experiences with him. That that never happens. You know, no, people don't believe that. You know, you could tell your peers about that. All oh, that. No, that didn't really happen. Oh well, yeah, it did. If I sat there for 15 minutes, that's an incredible, uh, an incredible experience where you get to kind of see the real Michael in a setting all by yourself. So yeah, that's pretty special.
0: There's some of those things out there in preparation for the last dance. Probably two weeks ago, I was. Flipping around on YouTube, looking at different stuff on Jordan, and I came across, because you know I went to UC Santa Barbara, and I came across this video, and I knew right away it was the Thunderdome, and it was set up for camps and intramurals with all the bleachers pushed back. It seats 6,000, but it's all bleachers. And I knew it as soon as I saw it, because i have been in there a million times, and it was Jordan, and a camper had trash-talked him, and Jordan got in a game and scored on every possession. And I thought of that <laughs> when you were and the video, and he's just going up and down the score. And it is effortless. And to think that some poor camper thought he was going to stop MJ, and MJ's just, he's getting layups, he's getting fadeaway jumpers. And, and it's old. It wasn't, it's not, you know, Jordan from a year ago, I don't think, ago. It's a little older. He's been doing camps there for a long time. I don't even know how long, 20 yeah, well, he years, was maybe. Doing,
1: he was doing all the Nike stuff there for years. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, I, I went there a couple of times, and he was there. And, uh, yeah, he, he was there a lot. That's, that's kind of funny that... Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the experience I had with him, too, is that uh, you you needed to respect him, especially if you were a camper or someone else. And if you start talking smack, you're going to get embarrassed publicly. (laughs)
0: Uh, last thing, I think, here before we, before we let you go, unless PK's got one more thing. You said something about there's a lot of good golf in Central California. There's a lot of golfers who listen to this show, and there's so many golf courses in Utah, and they're so inexpensive. You don't really need to travel. But if you ever find yourself out in the Central Valley, uh, for a while, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, uh, lived in Sonora. And I went with her husband golfing. And Steve, it was an awesome course. It was in good shape, and it wasn't very crowded and it wasn't very expensive. And I think everybody thinks expensive California golf, which you're you know if you're with all the people along the coast, it is. But the Central Valley really is different.
1: oh it, it is. And, and the courses are green and lush and uh, you know this is you know the Central Valley obviously is is kind of the heartland of agriculture in, in the country. And so you know you you look at Fort Washington and San Joaquin Country Club, too. you know they they've hosted NC two a championships. I know BYU last year came out to the course where I play at Fort Washington and, and won the tournament. I had a chance to walk around with, uh, with Bruce Bachbank and the team and, and, and just be around them for a couple of days. And Peter Quest, a great player there, who's just finished his golfing career, um, I had a chance to walk around with him. And they, and they love the golf course. But you're right. There, there is so much good golf in Central California, and it's half the cost. Mm-hmm. It's half the cost of going down in Orange County – going to Santa Barbara you know I mean there's great golf everywhere uh but it it is really a lot less expensive and so uh that that experience is good and uh yeah that's one of the really cool things about living in this area is really affordable golf and there's a lot of courses
2: I do got one thing for you Steve uh, yep. I want to see if you know anything about this Fresno State kid, Jared Hyder, He's a freshman. He started. He's got his name in the transfer portal. He lists BYU as one of his top five schools. Obviously, he's got Cal and St. Mary's that are in the region there. Sure. But do you know anything about him? I watched him,
1: and at the end of the year, you know, uh, the, the, it was interesting. Justin Hudson long time coach at San Diego State, a good friend of mine. He's the coach there. His, his first year they had a great year. This year they had all freshman guys hurt. and so he was experimenting and, and and late in the year he he got a lot of time and could really shoot had some had some games where he shot it really well. Uh, I think they had it it doesn't surprise me because I had heard that, that maybe they were bringing two or three guards in. Uh, uh you know, and, and anytime you come off a tough season, you're obviously uh you know, you're you're looking to be better than you were this past year and it was an unfortunate thing because he's playing a lot of freshmen and and, and, and then he, he dealt with injuries throughout the year. So I did watch him play two or three times and I watched him fill it up a couple of times where he hit two, three, four threes in a row. Pretty athletic. I, I think he's I can't remember, but he seemed like he was 6'3", six six but he did play um more significant minutes and I know that they signed a couple of guards coming in so who knows what the circumstances are? I haven't talked to Justin about it, but he 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 can't he can't shoot it and score it. Uh, and that was from two games that I actually watched, uh, where he he, you know, he seemed to have a great stroke and uh, wasn't wasn't bashful about shooting it. So uh, I would I would think he comes in as a, maybe a combo guard. I think he played some point, but he played a little bit of the combo position. But yeah, I think he'd be a good get for anybody, especially when he's just a freshman. And more than likely, have they have they decided whether they're going to have to sit or not, or are they going to let him automatically be eligible?
0: I don't think it's official yet, but it seems to me like everyone's going to be automatically eligible. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, he he comes in and, uh, you know, he, he played – Mountain West was up this year. They had good teams in the league. And I think when he finally got his chance to play – and I, I don't have no idea why he's leaving, but uh, – most of the time it's, you know, you're looking for more playing time or those kind of circumstances. So, But he was playing uh, some decent minutes at the end. But uh, whatever his frustration was, somebody's going to get a pretty good player.
0: Steve, as always, thanks for the time. Thanks for the stories. You never disappoint. We appreciate having you on.
1: Talk to you later, guys. Thanks.